All right, so um, last week we finished with the thought that Christians must be spiritually alert. Okay, we were talking about how we are commanded in the Bible to be alert. We looked at several passages in the New Testament where it says, wake up, have your eyes open, be alert. There's that one passage that we looked at in Mark 13 where Jesus says it three times in, what, seven verses or six verses, um, be alert, be alert, be alert. And that is a disposition we carry with us every single day. As a Christian, you can't look at it as optional to be alert in this world. Okay? You've got to have your eyes open. As we think about all the things that God is doing in the world and all the things that God is set to do in the world, we have to be alert and ready to serve Him no matter what's going on. Uh, but then we got into... What demons can do to Christians? We spent a couple of weeks before last week talking about what demons can do to unbelievers. And that's pretty straightforward. If you have good biblical theology, you understand that when people are born into this world, they're born under sin. They're born in sin. They're born uh, subjected to sin and the power of the devil. All of us in our natural state are there. And so it's really not a surprise when we see in Scripture that a demon would... Uh, come in to possess somebody and manipulate someone's life, circumstances, or uh, whatever the case may be. That's really not that surprising. But then when you think about what can, that say, that same demon, what can he do to a Christian, that gets a little more complicated because the Christian has been redeemed. The Christian's been transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the presence of God dwelling in our hearts. He, he's been poured out on our, in our hearts, Romans 5 says, about the Holy Spirit. And so you start thinking, okay, well, what can the demon do? And uh, make no mistake, demons can do things, but uh, the question is, of course, to what degree? And we talked through that last week, and uh, there's really no place to settle with a ton of confidence, uh, but we know that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, and therefore... We need to just be aware and make sure that we're confronting anything that may be demonic in our lives. Uh, with, we're confronting it with truth. And so let's uh, talk about tonight, let's start by talking about methods employed by demons to affect believers, okay? So the top half of the whiteboard tonight. The tactics of demons among us, among Christians. And ultimately, their tactic is going to be to distract us from the Word of God and to distract us from prayer. I think that's about as basic as it gets, and I think anything that they would do would be to distract us from those two things. They would distract us from hearing from God in His Word, and they would distract us from talking to God in prayer. Okay? Now, I, I want to talk about specific ways that that happens, but I want you to see that that's the heart. Okay? And I've got two uh, items here underneath, experientialism and worldliness. I think those are two ways that uh, demons do that in believers' lives. Uh, but again, they're all distractions from the Word of God and from prayer. So when I talk about experientialism here, that um, a distraction that demons would pose in a believer's life would be leading believers into the thinking um, that life is about spiritual experiences. Now, when someone asks the question like, okay, are spirit, spiritual experiences good or bad? 
What should your answer be? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? Depends. On? Depends on whether it, whether it conforms to God's word or not. Okay. Yeah. If it conforms to God's word or not. Because God's word says for us to test the spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not, all, not all spirits clearly are... Good. Yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah, not all spirits would pass the test. Good ones, bad yeah. ones, mm-hmm. yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, what would be a, what would be an example of a good spiritual experience then? What would be something that you could say? Okay, this conforms to God's word. It's something that perhaps you even experience on the regular. What would an example be? Answered prayer. Positive. Okay. Yeah, seeing God work in your life in response to something you've prayed about. That's good. What else? Very good. Yeah. Some of those things that we almost consider mundane. Like, wow, I'm burdened. I'm confronted in my heart by God about this sin that I've been committing that he has said that is, is wrong. That's a very spiritual thing, isn't it? It's not just like, oh, I'm so smart. I figured out that I'm a sinner. We recognize that any conviction that we have that drives us to repentance, well, that's give thanks to God for that, right? That's God working in your life. You could even say the, the fellowship, even what we're doing right now. Is this a spiritual experience? Yes. yes. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, right. First Corinthians chapter 3 says of the local church, you are a temple of God. The Holy Spirit is here, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is active, isn't he? Yeah, you better believe it. The Holy Spirit encouraging losing heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yesterday, Amen. Amen. All right, so good spiritual experiences. Now, what about bad spiritual experiences? It's a long list. (laughs) It's almost like, where do you start with bad spiritual experiences? Well, when we think about experientialism, where you think all of life is about spiritual experiences, what happens is you start chasing after the stuff that God's Word doesn't command you to chase after, oftentimes. Okay? I'll, let me give you some examples to get our minds kind of going in this direction. Basically, what I mean by this is some sort of a foundation for your life other than the Word of God. <coughs> because, you know, for, for people, I don't have a physical Bible with me. Pretend like this is a Bible. Okay, it's a hymnal. But, you know, this is like boring. It, pretend it's a Bible. Uh, <coughs> like, this is really boring. We're just talking about, you know... Pretend like the music notes aren't there. This is just black ink on white pages, you know, boring. This book's 2,000 years old, 2,000 plus years old. Very, very boring. So I need to go experience stuff. Now, you see, just right there, you've swapped your foundation. You've been distracted from the Word of God from the beginning. And this shows up in different ways. Um, So, for instance, before Melissa and I moved here, there was a, a group that we were among in Kansas City uh, called IHOP, not the <laughs> one you're thinking of, okay? <laughs> Different one. Now, the, this other IHOP, the religious IHOP, has been in the news quite a bit lately. Their founder, Mike Bickle, has been under fire for some things that have come up in his past. Um, but they are a very charismatic, but even like beyond charismatic, a very experiential type group. I... Uh, 
our church that we were a part of there was just a few blocks from IHOP, and IHOP is big. They own a bunch of buildings, but a few blocks from their main campus. And when I was living there and going to school there at Bible College, I was like, well, I want to go see it. And so um, went and checked it out, and I was in there for like an hour and 20 minutes or so with a couple of friends. And uh, it was one of those situations where they, over the course of almost an hour and a half, they played three or four songs because the songs go on so long. And people are like on the ground and with ribbons running around and convulsing and uh, babbling, saying that they're doing something the Bible tells them to do and they're not, Um, going up and sharing things about their spiritual experiences. It was like an open mic, give your testimony thing, and they they were saying things that did not align with the Word of God. And that was what they were all about. They're about experiences. And when you start chasing those experiences... It's usually just right out of the gate. You're going to deviate from what God has called you to do. So people will join cults based on this. People will uh, say they, you know, are hearing all kinds of voices or talking to all kinds of people that you can't see, but they can see. Uh, People will say, um, you know, maybe the use of psychedelic drugs is like a gateway for them to get into these experiences. It gets into the realm of aliens where people are really hyped up about aliens right now, and they want to, you know, go experience aliens. It's just like total distraction from the Word of God is what it is. Very few people that I've ever met who uh, chase after these things, in fact, I would say none, um, are committed to the Word of God in the way that they should be because they're chasing after experiences. Um, False miracles and prophecies, necromancy, all kinds of crazy things that people do to experience spiritual things and make life all about spiritual experiences. I think that demons use that to affect Christians. I think they do. I think that's one of the ways they affect us. Another way, and then after this I'll stop for thoughts and questions. Another way is worldliness. So if experientialism is all about spiritual experiences, I'll say worldliness is... uh, Basically, ignoring the supernatural. So on the one hand, it's all about the supernatural. On the other hand, it's never about the supernatural. And let's turn to Galatians 5 together. I want you to see uh, what this looks like. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll pick up in verse... 19. And there will be some supernatural things mixed in here, but someone read 19 to 21 for us and we'll talk about it. Who can get that? Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Joseph, thanks. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so there at the start of verse 20, you have idolatry and sorcery listed, which are very spiritual activities. Um, that could lead people into that experientialism type stuff, uh, even though idolatry wears many hats. 
But consider the other things that are listed here. I mean, this is what we would say is worldliness, this kind of activity. In particular, look in verse 20, after sorcery, you've got enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. So I think like tribalism, developing your team and being against other people, particularly in the church, I think that is something that demons use to distract us from what we are called to do. To, uh, I, I've said before that Christian tribalism is actually Christian cannibalism. Okay? That's what we do whenever we break into tribes and we fight with one another, is we're devouring one another, is what Scripture says. And it's not good. But you can even expand outside of the church and think of uh, nationalism. You know, nationalism is a really big buzzword right now that people are talking about. And really focusing on politics so much that you're just kind of ignoring what God is doing in the world because you're so focused on the next election or whatever might be happening in your given area. Uh, and of course, I've mentioned this in the Sermon on Sunday, there's hedonism that the world offers too, which is just do whatever you want. Uh, go do whatever makes you feel good. And you know, don't think about God and don't think about angels and demons and all that stuff. Just go do what you want to do. Go make yourself feel good. Total distraction from the supernatural. And so on the one hand, it's like you've got these really strong emphases on the supernatural that lead you away from the word of, word of God. And on the other hand, you've got this like worldly, there's no supernatural type mindset that leads you away from the world of God. And I think demons use both. I think demons use both in the lives of believers to distract us from what God has called us to do and can affect us really deeply in ways that we don't even recognize whenever we're not being discerning. Any thoughts or questions on, on that? I'm a nationalist. <laughs> but not to the extent. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'll be silent until you qualify it. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I, know, I know several Venezuelans. I know some Colombians here. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm talking about uh, Christian nationalism, um, you know, is, is a big thing right now. I don't know if you guys saw that Rob Reiner is putting out a documentary um, on Christian nationalism, against Christian nationalism. Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're ignorant of all that, praise God for it and stay ignorant of it. Just don't even go down that road. But um, there are a, a large number of Christians in America today who want to take America back even though America never was like Israel or anything, it's almost like they, they talk that way. Yeah. Like, okay, well, we were God's chosen people, and then we strayed. Now we need to be God's chosen people again, <laughs> which is just not what God has called the church to do. Um, our mission is not to overturn uh, governments. The okay. word, the, I'm sorry. Yeah. The word, not the odyssey. Theocracy? I guess, yeah. <laughs> Covenant? To, to make a theocracy, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a distraction, is what I'm saying. That kind of nationalism is a distraction. Other thoughts or questions on these sorts of things? Good? So what you, could, could you define a little bit what you mean by that, that Bob Reiner? I haven't heard of that. Yeah. So, um, oh, Pamela, how much time do we have? Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to try to do this in three minutes. <laughs> so there is a Christian perspective out there called postmillennialism. 
Postmillennialism teaches that Jesus will come back whenever the world has become Christianized. Therefore, the role of the church is to go Christianize nations, that the Great Commission is fulfilled not by discipling people from every nation, but by discipling the nations themselves and making governments Christian. And this will be done by the church going out and commanding them to obey the law of Moses and implement the law of Moses as the law of the land for their nation. So um, this movement has caught a lot of traction, and you have Christians now joining forces with secular people like Rob Reiner to speak against it. I don't agree with either side, okay? Um, but that's really what's going on is you've got one group of passionate Christians who are basically trying to reclaim, is what they say, reclaim everything for Christ as though that's what we were called to do, to usher in Jesus' return. And the other side uh, saying, no, you're not supposed to do that, but the side that's doing that is like Rob Reiner and stuff right now. They're making the movie, and I don't like want to support them. And so it's like I think they're both kind of off. And I think this is a tactic of demons to distract us from what we are supposed to be doing, which is uh, really investing in the local church, fulfilling the Great Commission as Jesus gave it to us, and... Uh, being focused on the word of God in prayer. So they're thinking they're going to usher Christ by doing all this? Or what? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but the, the form of post-millennialism that's popular right now doesn't think it'll happen in their lifetime. They think it'll happen thousands of years from now, that they're just in the early church. All right, we can do that. We can silence the pin, no sweat. Go ahead, Pamela, what was that? So then it's kind of like on the opposite of where, um, what was it, uh, if they get rid of little Satan and big Satan, they'll usher in the Maldi, kind of like the, the M-A-H-D-I. I don't think I know the, what you're talking about. The, the Islam, Islam. Oh, okay. If they get rid of, you know, all the other, mm. that's why they're so into yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite. Here, this Christian group is mm -hmm. wanting to do this, and then these guys want to, you know, destroy so they can bring in the yes, and Jesus, the prophet. Yeah, and I, so when we get you know that politically minded, um, I think it's pretty obvious how big of a distraction it is from what we are supposed to be doing. Yeah. Which isn't to say don't vote, right? And then don't right. vote, you know, your understanding of God's truth for candidates that support that. Yeah. Yep, true. But we have to focus uh, on being alert and not being distracted is really at the heart of all of this. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Um, other thoughts or questions? Joseph. Kind of going back to your question, like um, different ways to like Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, decisions are made based on feelings rather than the Word of God. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, even when we use religious -y language, flowery language, saying, oh, you know, God gave me a feeling. You don't know if that was God or if that was a demon. 
right? Um, and that is one of the major problems of using feelings as a confirmation for what you believe. Like, we would never teach that in this church. Because, guess what? People from every religion use feelings as a confirmation for what they believe. So, who's to say your feeling was God and theirs was a demon, or vice versa? We need something that's certain, something that's sure, a lamp shining in a dark place. The Word of God. That's what we need. And so, uh, yeah, feelings, you can't trust them. Andrew? Sorry. Just, when you talk about feelings, i got to share. So. Okay. Um, Your feelings? Yes. <laughs> so I was literally just teaching against that. <laughs> yes. Um, you cannot use feelings to determine truth because you should be coming here and sometimes when, you're, when we're speaking God's word, it should convict you. It should hurt. It should feel like, oh man, that's yikes. Uh -huh. That's me. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's part of it. You're going to have good feelings and sometimes you're going to have bad feelings that are going against your own flesh. Yes. That is part of being a Christian. Yes. So that's why it always comes back to what has God said, right? cuts through all that subjective stuff. See, I told you I was going to talk about Peter. Yeah, no, that was good. No, I trust you. I trust you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, with that in mind, um, let's talk about, let's finish tonight uh, talking about how we must be spiritually active. And let's all turn to Luke chapter 8 together. Luke chapter 8. And I want us to talk about... Um, for the rest of our time, how we are to resist demonic influence, and we'll start with confronting the demonic. And I'm going to give you a couple of unique accounts, and I'm emphasizing that these are unique accounts, and then uh, we'll talk about what we are to do today. So Luke 8, let's start at uh, verse 26 and go through 31. Would someone read... 26 to 31 of Luke 8. Pretty, pretty please. I got it. Thank you, Andy. And then uh, I'll go ahead and get a volunteer for Acts 16, 18. It's just one verse, Acts 16, 18. You can get that one. Thank you, Ellie. All right, so um, whenever you're ready, Andy, Luke 8, 26 to 31. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land... He was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for he had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. All right. So in this account, which we've looked at three or four times in this study, uh, we see, once again, a demon being quoted. If you look at verse 28, you've got quotation marks going on. In between there, it's the demon speaking, okay? And you have, in verse 30, Jesus asking the demon a question and the demon responding to that specific question, giving a specific answer. This is, of course, possible because demons have personality. Demons have intelligence. They're, a, they're able to interact, okay? 
Just as you see angels uh, speaking in the New Testament, it's Christmas time, so you know there are those passages where the angels arrive and they speak. Demons, too, can speak and can interact. And then Acts uh, 16, 18, Ellie. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. All right. So in this case, we don't have a demon speaking, but we have a demon hearing. Do demons have ears? How does that work? Uh, well, again, they have personality, they have intelligence. He speaks, and they, they speak that language that Paul was speaking and responded. Um, so, let me say this. Communication with demons is possible, but it should not be pursued. Okay, very important thing to say. You are not Jesus. You are not one of the apostles. You can't, with certainty... Say, there's a demon there. I'm going to speak to the demon. Okay? You can't do that um, with, with certainty like they could. Um, but it does happen. And you'll hear, again, stories from the mission field where people do this kind of thing. I don't, I don't encourage you to do that. But I just want you to be aware. It's biblical. It happens. Okay? But I don't want you out pursuing demons to chat with them. Okay? Um, and if you were ever to do that, my only recommendation would be it better be a clear case. Otherwise, you're going to really mess somebody up, all right, um, uh, who doesn't have a demon. Uh, really, at the end of the day, what does the demonized person need the most? More than our uh, discerning and proclaiming and demanding a demon to do something, the person who is, has been demonized needs the Spirit of God, the truth of God, the love of God. And so bring those things into every situation. <laughs> You, you're guaranteed to have, uh, you know, be, be in obedience, I guess you could say, with those things in every situation. Um, but I just want to make you aware that there are times when people have communication with demons. Okay. Thoughts on that? Certainly not commanded. That's why I say don't. All right. If I ever say don't do something and you are commanded to do it, then say something. Um, but it happens is what I'm saying. Okay. And just be aware of that. Other thoughts, questions? Well, we're not to... You're saying don't pursue. That's what we're not... Because that's the word. We're not to pursue. Chatting. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Yep, that's it. Yeah, don't go... Don't try to go find a demon to talk to. Yeah. That, that wouldn't end up well. Or good for anybody. Let's freak you out a little bit, the idea of that happening? Yeah. Probably should. Yeah, I mean, can you, I, I can't really imagine, because I've not experienced it, what that was like with Legion and Jesus in Luke chapter 8. What kind of voice was coming out of Legion? Um, I can't imagine what it was like in Acts 16, when Paul clearly recognized that the girl had a demon, and he commanded, and they knew that it left her immediately. That's weird, right? Like, um, I, I can't, you know, fully wrap my mind around that. But it, it happens, and uh, you just need to be aware. Okay. Ninety percent of communication is nonverbal. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. Something happened that was pretty clear. Yep. 
Yep. Okay. So what you can do um, is instead of trying to figure out with great certainty whether someone has been demonized or not, is someone who is in a situation that's clearly out of line with God's word as you bring God's word to bear in the situation. And you say, let's look at the word of God together. Let's pray together. Uh, because what happens is when a person um, embraces the truth of God, a, a demon can't co-reside with the truth of God. The truth of God drives the demon away. Okay? When a person embraces what is true, um, the demon's not going to coexist there. Okay? So you can bring the truth of God to bear. You guys are seeming pretty glassy-eyed tonight. Give me something. Someone give me something. Uh, <laughs> you having a crash? Uh, blood sugar crash? Brandon. Well, like you said they can't like, like possess them or do anything when you're in the faith and everything, correct? But can they still like pressure you with things and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, and it's just uh, uncertain how much they can affect us as far as, like if you remember last week, there was the almost baseball diamond looking thing, external down to the soul. Right, and there are like maybe levels in between. Um, I would tend to agree with the video we watched last week that a demon can't reside in the same place where the Holy Spirit resides. However, I think we can be deeply affected by the demonic realm. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps that's the best way to, to say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, if you're dealing with an unbeliever, I mean, it could very well be, and this is, I think, just really, really important. It could very well be that the next time you're in a gospel conversation with someone who's not a believer, that that person is demonized. Now, can you know for sure? No. But what can you know for sure? If that person is not a believer, that person needs the gospel. And you bring the gospel into that situation. And, uh, and that will cover your bases, so to speak. One. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Looking for someone, and Joe, being a faithful servant of God, um, he said, "Have you considered my servant Joe?" And he asked for permission at that time. Yes. And he said, "You can do anything but mm -hmm. help him." And you know, when I think of that, it's almost it's kind of I don't want to say scary, but knowing I know that we cannot be possessed as a child of God, but that God can allow certain things to happen and is that because he from how I understood it is because Satan or someone in that faction has to go and request specifically your child of you know your your servant your child of God you know Rebecca um, I see she's doing really well mm. I want to do X Y and mm -hmm. Z is that kind of how it works yeah, right. Um, it certainly seems that way. In fact, uh, we have some interesting verses in the New Testament, like in 1 John 3, or maybe 2, uh, but it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So he has this realm that's been given to him for the moment, yet he still has to get permission, which is really interesting, because he still, God still owns him. He's not a free agent, right? He's on a leash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Journey through here. 
we are in, we're not in our territory. Yeah, and, that's it. Yeah. We're pilgrims. And, and we were just in on Sunday mornings here recently in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's thorn in the side. And it's, remember that the thorn is a messenger from Satan. Well, God uses Satan the way he wants to use Satan. Now, in Satan's mind, he might be thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go get permission and then I'm going to be able to do, you know, get a foothold and get an advantage. Well, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what Satan's going to ask permission for. He knows what Satan is going to do, can and can't do. And he uses it all in his program only in a way that a sovereign God can. And he will use Satan or demons' effects in your life for good, because God works all things together for your good. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing. But, uh, but yeah, God's, God's in control. We've got to always remember that. Okay? <coughs> yes, ma'am. That's it, yep. Because when he did what he did, he changed himself to God. Even though what we're going through may seem mm. can't go through, but yep. it's Him going Amen. through with us. Yep, there's uh, been no test that has befallen you with that which is mm-hmm. common to man. Mm-hmm. And God gives you a way of escape. Um, so, when it comes to dealing with the devil and his, his angels, um, your protection, your mode of opposing, your form of resistance, your method of confrontation is to always be, first and foremost, the Word of God. You're, you're not going to be successful in opposing uh, the demonic realm apart from the Word of God. Now let's look at a couple more passages. Can I get someone to grab James chapter 4, 4 through 10? Who's got that? Mandy, thank you. James 4, 4 to 10. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll all go to Ephesians 6 after that because I think we're going to end on Ephesians 6. So let's all go to James chapter 4 toward the back of your Bible. James chapter 4 verses 4 through 10, and let's continue to consider this idea of resisting, biblical resistance to the devil and to demons. These are some basic scriptural commands, just two passages here that are given for our battle, and what's amazing is both of these come with promises. So it's not just a command, hey, do this, but both of them come with a promise saying, when you do this, this is what will happen in your relationship with Satan himself. Okay, so James 4, 4 to 10, Mandy. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. 
humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right. So let's look at, hone in on verse 7. What's the command and what's the promise? Command is? Submit. Yes, submit to God and resist the devil. And the promise is? Now that's amazing. Your promise in your resistance of the devil, he will flee. I'd hang on to that verse if uh, I were you. <laughs> and in a way, you know, we're all kind of the same, all Christians here tonight. Uh, yeah, I, I hang on to that. Okay, Mark that one up, memorize it, treasure it in your heart. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. And your number one mode of resistance is keep the word of God paramount. Keep the truth of God paramount. Bring the gospel to bear on your situation. Okay, study the word of God. Pray to the God of the word. Okay, these are paramount in your resistance. But we can get even more specific when we go back to Ephesians. This is the famous armor of God passage, Ephesians 6. Let's go there together where we'll close in the Bible tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. Starting at verse 10, this is how we are to resist. What are the specifics? They're found right here. So who can read 10 to 18 for us? Pamela. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Thanks so much. I wanted verse 18 to be included because look how he says, with this in view, be on the alert. There's our commission again, to be on the alert. Always have this armor going on. Always have these elements active in your life. And, and look at how they're listed out here. Starting in verse 13, as the armor is described, you've got truth and righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the Word of God, that's what we're all about as Christians. Amen. We don't want to be distracted from these things with the devil's schemes. We want to be focused on these things. And what's the promise that we're given here when it comes to the devil? Okay. And verse 16 says specifically, what's going to happen to those darts? Woo! Yeah. So these flaming arrows will be extinguished 
when you're focused on these things. That's what I mean when you bring the truth of God to bear, you can't have the demonic or the satanic being effective there. The truth of God will win every time. And, and isn't that amazing that we get to know the end of the story? It's not like we're living in between these two forces and, oh, who's going to win, good or evil, oh my. No, God's going to win. He's, he's outside of time. He's already won, right? Uh, God wins. And so here we are as his creatures who have been redeemed by him, equipped for the battle, called to bring honor and glory to his glorious name, his wonderful name, the sovereign maker of all things. And we do so by living for him with the full armor of God in a dark, crooked, perverse generation. Other thoughts or questions on these passages? Good. Clear. I like it. All right. So let me uh, give you five things as I want to sum it up and close not only this evening, but the whole series. Rules of thumb for biblical resistance. Five things. I wish that they would like start with letters where we could make a word out of it, but <laughs> need, need a vowel or two in there. But uh, faith. Faith is where we start. Okay. So when it comes to resisting the evil forces of this world. And again, if you still got Ephesians 6 in front of you, be struck with this reality in verse 12 that our struggle is against the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where we're struggling. That's our battle, right? So faith plays a huge role. And in that armor of God passage, faith is the shield that extinguishes the darts of our enemy. It's the antidote that drives out the effects of unbelief. Um, you re realize that where belief is, unbelief can't exist, right? It's like light and darkness, okay? Um, where, where faith is, you can't have lack of faith. And so we want to be people of faith. We want to grow in our faith. We want the light of faith to go into all those dark corners of our heart where we may be lacking faith. We want to confess to God, I believe, help my unbelief and see what he will do in purifying our hearts. So faith on an individual level is extremely important. Having the word of God and believing it. Okay, very, very important. Second thing is fellowship. Because we have strength in unity. What does it say in Ecclesiastes about the cord of three strands? Not easily broken, right? And there is, in Proverbs, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. So what we're doing tonight, very, very important. And there's a reason why we have fellowship going on almost every day of the week, formally in our church, not, you know, informally. Informally is hopefully you guys are hanging, together, hanging out uh, outside of that too. But um, we've got stuff going on all the time because we need each other, don't we? We desperately need each other. And how can you stay on the right path? With each other. We keep each other on the path with accountability, as we admonish one another in the way that we speak to one another, speaking the truth in love. Very, very important. Discernment. Third, third thing I have listed when it comes to resisting the evil one. Discernment, meaning to have maturity of mind. You want to, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are to keep growing up in your knowledge of God. Do you ever 
reach 100% in your growing up <laughs> in this life, in your knowledge of God? No, 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 no. Billy Graham was not at 100%. The Pope is at like negative percent. Okay? So you can never get 100%. We always want to grow not only in the truth, but in our application of the truth too. Have you ever exhausted all the ways to apply the Word of God to your life? A verse you've had memorized for 20 years? No. And so we keep exercising discernment and growing in discernment. Fourth, hatred of evil. Truly hating what God hates. I think this would be a really, really good exercise for you this week is to ponder in your heart those things that you don't hate that God hates. Ask God to show you that. Ask God to expose that in your, in your thinking, that you would develop a true hatred for evil, a true hatred for sin, whether it's something that's going on in your own heart or something that you see in the lives of others, that you would like, just truly despise sin. I mean, wouldn't that be great if you, at the moment of your conversion, were given that perfect disposition toward sin, of a, a pure hatred toward all sin? Think how different you would think about things. Consider just how different you would view the world. Well, you can grow in that. I don't think any of us will ever get perfect in this life, but you can mature in that area too. Not just general discernment, but in a specific hatred of evil. Not entertaining, playing with fire, but hating the fire, staying away from the fire. So faith, fellowship, discernment, hatred of evil, and fifth, self-control, which for the Christian is possible to abstain from sin, to recognize your unique temptations that you have and abstain from them. Um, we will be resisting the devil when we abstain from sin. He would want us to sin, wouldn't he? He would want us to rebel just as he did. He would want us to be prideful. He would want us to be autonomous from God. But we are to have self-control, meaning we continually place ourselves under the authority of God. Very, very important. This Sunday sermon is going to be about um, helping children basically grow up in the faith. And one of the big things with children is teaching them that they are not gods, right? Because that's like built in, isn't it? We come out of the womb saying, gimme, 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 I'm in charge. Okay? And we can still do that as big babies, can't we? And it is our goal to have self-control, to abstain from sin, and we do that by in humility as often uh, as possible, reminding ourselves God is in charge, we are not. We are to refrain from evil. Not only to hate evil, but to refrain from evil. Okay? All right. That's the end of my notes. This tonight was going to be like more of a total Q&A time, which I'm glad it wasn't because there hadn't been a lot of Q. <laughs> but uh, if you have questions or thoughts, uh, we still have about 10 minutes. So, yeah. Anything that you're thinking? Pamela. And he read the word to us every night, every night without fail. And 
and um, it seems impossible, but that's the one thing he did after my mom left. That, that he, and I remember him saying, I think I said that before, that's the Holy Spirit impressed upon him mm -hmm. to read the word to us and that. But until you read the word on your own, because I messed up royally, but because of that mess up, that's what brought me to my knees. Mm -hmm. I, that's what drove me to the word. And, and I, that's why I'm glad that you do, because we can avoid, and that's why I do say read the word, because you want to impart that to everybody, because you avoid so much heartache if you just let God speak. But some, we're stubborn. Yes. Like I, and, you know, I know God's still working on me on that, too. But that's what drove me to my knees was my, my yeah. you know, and, and thank God for his word. Mm -hmm. It's his word that helps us grow in him. Like, I really like that. I appreciate that. that mm -hmm. The word of God, because that's, yeah. it's him. Yes, sometimes he pushes us down to rock bottom and yeah. we bounce up by his grace. Yeah. Amen. So, um, I actually heard uh, John Piper talk about this one time, about a person that was seemingly possessed. And he legitimately thinks that this was occurring. And, you know, it wasn't some exorcism or anything yeah. like that, but it was pretty fascinating uh, listening to it. It's on YouTube if you want to listen, but um, I think that we have a tendency, like you said, those are almost like two ditches, yep. right? Oh, yeah. And we have a tendency to veer towards one or towards the other and deny the other side of it. Um, yeah, and the word of God and prayer are in the middle. Yes. Uh, they're on the road. Right. Yeah. But I think that worldliness is like almost baked in to the public at large here. Yeah. Especially um, in America. Especially in America, yeah. And I, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't expect people to go out there and be seeing demons under every rock or in every person that's an unbeliever. However, I think that you know, if God dropped the scales from our eyes and we could actually see what's oh, going yeah. on, yeah. I think it would be way more pervasive than we would even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first lesson of this series, so three months ago, you guys remember this perfectly, right? Three months ago, the lesson? It was life-changing for all of you, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, anyway, that one we looked at uh, Elisha's servant. That passage, right, with the scales dropping from his eyes and seeing that, yeah. And Jesus teaches us angels and demons don't die. There, they still exist. Um, wow, that'd be crazy, crazy to see, and I'm thankful we don't. Other thoughts or questions? Joseph, stretching, thinking, stretching. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, earlier you said that, you know, you shouldn't go out and try to find demons and speak to them, which yes. I agree with because that, that just sounds weird. Yep. And, uh, but, but do you think that there's, there's people today that have that ministry of, mm. you know, deliverance and those kind of things? Maybe they have those gifts? Um, no, I don't. Short of it is no. Uh, there are those ministries that exist. They call themselves deliverance, deliverance ministries. And there is, 
I think it was Justin Peters recently put out a video that said we need deliverance from deliverance ministries uh, because they get so far afield. I mean, if there was ever one done biblically, that would be one worthy of of talking about. But I've not seen that. I've I've only seen um, some gross expressions of men's imagination. That's all I've seen. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, uh, one of those things that Satan uses to actually distract us from what we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, you have to make up stuff as you go along, and that's what we see. It's a bunch of guys making up stuff as they go along, and uh, it compounds over time. Yeah, it's very weird. Well, well there were demons that the apostles could cast right? Out, yeah. Right? Yeah. And It's presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. To, uh-huh. to say, oh, we can do better than Paul and Peter. And, you know, yeah. That's, that's pretty uh, arrogant. It is. I think. Not. I'm not saying that with the Holy Spirit living in this, given the probably unique and crazy circumstances, God is not capable of doing that. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. It, That'd be really, really careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say just avoid, avoid yeah. them, because um, it's it's not been done in a in a way that is biblical. Because what happens is, if you have that kind of ministry, everybody that comes to you has a demon. I've not, I don't know if them ever saying, "Oh no, you don't have a demon. You just need to hear this from the Word of God and change your thinking." Right. That never happens. Um, their success rate, no one keeps track, because if you did, it would be really abysmal. And, uh, you know, the stuff that they say about the spiritual realm is unbiblical. And so you put all those things together and just, like, avoid them. Jim? We just have to remember, if we decide to go out searching for demons, the, the, the sons of Eva. Yeah, something? right. Uh, yeah. I mean, they thought they wanted to face the demons, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they were seven of them with one dude run out of the house naked. <laughs> So why he stripped them, I don't know. But yeah, right. Seven guys naked and bleeding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were beaten and whatever. Yeah. Yep. It's one thing to stand fast. It's a different to go out looking for trouble. Yeah. Yep. It's like going out looking for grizzly bears, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not something I'd recommend. Uh, so. Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you so much for what you've informed us in your word about the supernatural realm, and we thank you so much that as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been equipped to live this life for you, even though it is full of toils and snares. God, we know that there are so many things out there that we can't see with our eye that are affecting us day by day, and we want to live for you. We want to be alert. So we ask that you would help us take this information and apply it to our lives, that by your Spirit's power, that there would be change affected in our lives, that we would live for you and serve you well, uh, even as we see things getting worse and worse. God, we want to uh, be lights shining in a dark place. We don't want to go back into the darkness. We want to uphold a pure testimony for you. We want to be effective witnesses for the gospel. We want Jesus to be made famous, even in this place, that 
uh, your gospel would uh, be clear to every person and that the effects of your gospel would be clear through our lives. God, help us to do this all for your honor and glory. Help us to encourage one another in this, even as we see the day approaching, and help us to uh, prioritize what it is that you've called us to do, that we would put on your armor and be equipped for this battle and serve you well. And we ask for your help in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.